So she's probably not coming on then. How about we try Andrew? He's not busy these days. Yeah, he probably loves a true crime podcast. see you there. This is Everyone Dies in Sunderland, a podcast about growing up terrified in the 80s and 90s. Every six months or so, sorry, uh, we take a trip back to our northern childhoods and see what we can sort of remember being alarmed by while we were playing with those little plastic pitch and toss games in the tiny fish tank. Used to get in packs of cereal, remember those? With me, as per usual, it's the former DVD reviewer of The Sun, not the celestial body, Mr. Gareth Alexander. Gareth, what yogurt are we remembering today? Shambosi. Thanks. Before we bring in Claire, uh, I just have to play uh, a quick warning. This is your bad girl warning. The next program is about a bad girl. Hello, boys and girls. This is all good here again. Now, this time, I know you're going to be sensible and switch off when you hear the tone. Everything will be fine. As long as you switch off when you hear the tone. We're playing the bad girl warning from Marmite Atkins' TV show. Because, uh, Claire, while we've been off, you did slightly hurt my feelings. Me? Oh, goss, goss, goss. Podcast wars. We'll be up with gossip mongers at this, uh, this point after they kicked off Poppy Hillstead. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? I've been planning to say we're going to Poppy Hillstead your ass to Claire for about a year now. Anyway, so we're in the pub and people were having one of those uh, unbearably tedious conversations about how anxiety inducing it must be for my wife that most of my friends are women, even though statistically I've so far managed to avoid having sex with almost every woman I've ever met. In fact, actually, if you round it up, I'm technically a virgin. And uh, someone said to concerts premier Ellie Kemper impersonator, do you not worry about him spending all that time with Claire? And she said, oh, Claire's only interested in beautiful gem boys. <laughs> So uh, my own wife thinks the only reason we're not banging is I'm too ugly. And and for that reason, Claire has hurt your feelings. Regrettably, we don't have a bad boy warning for Gareth. But Claire, I have actually told you this, but the listeners don't know. A couple of weeks ago, he texted me, how long is your notice period? Which obviously I have to text back, what have I done and why am I finding out like this? (laughs) Anyway, a couple of shows back, with amazing prescience, it turns out, uh, we talked about what is known in the industry as Obit Mixes, the collections of quiet, reflective, and astonishingly Andenine songs, which radio stations play when te- something terrible has happened. I never thought to check. They really were playing Haunted Dance All by Saves of Paradise on Radio 1 when the Queen died, uh, as I was sending off text messages asking me if I'd listened to the Smiths yet. <laughs> I can only assume they meant nowhere fast off Meet His Murder. And I hadn't, actually! I was too busy texting, well, that capped off a shit week for Rangers to anyone I thought would get a joke. <laughs> I, I just posted, as I usually do, that's your Lizzie deed then on uh, Facebook. We were all waiting, as the majority of you out there who are not privy to Gareth's Facebook. When someone dies, Gareth will put on Facebook, that's your ex deed then. And that is most people, most people's re- receive formal notification. I ran from that dog walk, John. I ran like the wind. I was five minutes away from the house. I have never done so much exercise in my life to get home, leave the the dogs with the wife. Yes, you can sort those baying hounds. I have to get on Facebook. 
And I did. So I was with McDonald's with my kids, end of the first week back treating all that. And it turns out McDonald's have an obit mix. Whoever's coming after this trust, windfall tax on Coldplay. <laughs> PRS money is about to go through the roof. Does anyone have any favourite uh, favorite stories from the uh, national period of mourning? Not from this, but from the period of mourning after Princess Diana got sent up to heaven with Jed Goody and the Angles. And I was noodling about on sort of sad websites about the royals. And as anybody who has listened to the podcast previously knows, oh, I love me some bad poetry, me. Mm-hmm. And my favourite morning poem, again, about Lady Di... Why you cry? Because of Lady Di. What happened? Lady Di. Oh no, I'm so sad. My dripping eyes. Lady Di. Lady Di. Morning things. Without conjunctivitis. It's like in like The Basic Eight by Daniel Handler. You don't picture that Flannery's really fat, do you? And then it's like a bit of misdirection from the author. Very good. Very clever. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's no up there with um, Dirty Little Face Nappy or yeah. that one about the chip butty, but it's it's there. It's there. So my, my favourite bit of mourning was the, the night before the Queen's funeral uh, where the BBC dragged out Michael Crawford. And, uh... Yeah. And he did his famous under the van splits thing. Yeah. Uh, no, he, there wasn't time, sadly, but he remembered the time that he did Frank Spencer at the Royal Variety Show, and it looked like the Queen was enjoying it. <laughs> I mean, as part of uh, our last episode, we did talk about songs which people don't realise they know because they don't know what they're called, even though we forgot to mention theme from Sparta FC and Flagpole Sitter, didn't we? But what I was reminded of in, in terms of 1996 today, which both of you, which 1996 advert classic contains these lyrics. Pungent smells, they consummate my home. Beyond the black horizon, trying to take control. See my girl, she shivers in her bones. Sullen zenith rising, trying to take us all. Before proceeding to a chorus of the sickening taste of homophobic jokes, images of fascist votes. What was the 1996 number one containing those lyrics? It was Spaceman! Oh, nice! Anyway, it's a seismic day as we record this. Quick quiz. Well, what was longer? Babylon Zoo's Spaceman's time at number one or Liz Truss's time as Prime Minister? Zoo. Claire. Babylon Zoo. It was Liz, but only by a week. (laughs) (laughs) Wannabe was number one longer than Liz Truss as Prime Minister, though. There we go. Anyway, today we look at class-mediated fear of the criminal other. Come back, there's jokes. And even better than we do have a listener offer. But we're going to keep... We're going to keep you listening before we do that. Um, but today's topic is uh, returning to the early 90s, uh, sort of basing things around 1996, when every single community in the Northeast fell victim to a one-person crime wave carried out by a child. Yes, we are talking about tiny supervillains. But briefly... Uh, what, like minions? Like minions, John? I, I don't know. You've got children. You know what minions are. I do. <laughs> 
there was a time when Constance Premier League every first night to, uh, came out of our bedroom wearing a yellow jumper and a pair of tangerines and I did go, hello! And I don't think she's forgiven me. <laughs> but yeah, briefly, um, in your school days, are there books that you loved at school which no one talks about now? Um, only because they've all been cancelled. Like, in terms of, like, their... Uh, but I just think Enid Blyton is all I'm just going to go for there. You know, Mr. Pink Whistle. I, I beg your mm, pardon. Sorry? I beg your pardon. Exactly. I can't remember the exact title, but it was definitely something like Mr. Pink Whistle Plays a Trick and Mr. Pink Whistle Speaks to an underage girl and Mr. Pink Whistle isn't allowed in dormitories anymore. I'm there was a lot of that in, in his life. one that is actually called Mr. Pink Whistle interferes. Thank you. That's the one. I knew it was. I had that. Um so yeah, just those and the ones that talk about, you know, the N word, the P word, the C word, the Z word, the K word, the Jed word. <laughs> I only want to ask the question really because I suddenly had a flashback the other day uh, not just to Marmalade It's the Big Time a book that was big enough to have a spin-off TV series starring the much missed Charlotte Coleman and the only remembered by Gareth Alexander Elizabeth Edison <laughs> um, <laughs> although sadly for some reason her psychic Rufus the Talking Donkey did not make the transition to television you cowards <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm sure we all... I love the way that when we think we're niche enough, we just drill further down into niche. It's a really great show, though. It's, it's basically about that, if everyone doesn't remember it, it's about Charlotte Coleman, um, obviously much missed. Um, mm. They say the red-haired woman from Four Weddings and a Funeral, uh, who sadly died tragically young. And um, what, uh, How Do You Want Me, starring Dylan Moran. God, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm the absolutely fantastic, yeah. well-remembered, but hardly remembered also. How Do You Want Sitcom, How Do You Want Me? Yeah, magnificent show. Uh, mm. Yeah, she played the world's naughtiest girl. Basically went to school after school and got expelled from school after school. So yeah, she called everyone cock. That's probably why it's not, people don't read it in school now. That was a thing. So yeah, unfortunately, the clips on YouTube, it's just Charlotte Coleman will roller skate into the room and go, all right, cock! <laughs> but the reason for, for mentioning it uh, is because I suddenly remember a book I read at school called The Last Test. And I was like, what was that about? I don't even know how it finished at the time. And basically, a boy is playing the tennis ball and he hits over a fence to go to retrieve it. And he finds there's a, a child with some kind of disability in that garden who is playing out the ashes on a miniature cricket set in his garden. That's all I remember about it. And there's about two entries to it on the internet that basically just say, that is the plot. If anyone can remember uh, the last test and what the point was, do get in touch on, hey, let's do our socials now. Claire, what are our socials? On Instagram, it's at everyone underscore dies underscore in underscore Sunderland. Facebook, just look for everyone dies in Sunderland. And John has Twitter with... Everyone dies pod on the Twitter. And Claire, hey, you run my socials. What are my socials? Your socials is John V everything on everything. Yeah, so not only is it Claire uh, on our Instagram, uh, in case people know, also my Instagram as a stand-up comedian is also Claire. Very punny. You should go see him. He does stuff and things. He's hilarious. It's true, I am. Uh, I've never seen him, so I can't vouch for him. But, you know, three stars, some funny bits, probably. Yeah, that's about right. I did have to say to... uh, the, the comedian Connor Reed, 
that obviously Claire, Claire likes him a lot. I did say like, um, my Instagram isn't me, it's Claire. So if I do slide into your DMs, it's not me, it's Claire. <laughs> anyway, Claire, have you finished researching 1996? Or do you have a book that you remember from school that has, has, has dropped out of the world now? From school? Yeah. John, this is unfair to Claire. She never went to school. We've, we've really? skirted around this. This is why she is just the the lunking idiot that we see before <laughs> us. Shut up! I'm a lovely person. Um, oh, that's got nothing to do with going to school. All I know about you, Claire, is you are a lovely person, you lift weights and you kill dogs, none of which suggests an education. <sighs> I mean, I did. I used to read. Do you know what I used to read? The Encyclopedia, because we ran out of the books in the house, so I just read the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, yeah, there's three books in the house then. The Encyclopedia, the Bible, and the Better Word Catalogue. Oh, I love the Better Word Catalogue! There we go, I knew it. It's like, it's the same as, you know, when you had the Argos catalogue round about on the run up to Christmas and you'd fold the pages over for Santa or cut the pictures out and be like, I want that. Yeah, Yes, I can get that how you how you as a child would have done that out of the Argos catalogue, how you wanted to get an egg strainer or some sort of, you know, turkey baster from the Betterware catalogue, I don't know. You know, the best thing in the, in the Betterware catalogue that ever existed, it was that weird thing you could stick as a mat in the bottom of your shower or your bath, and then when you stood in the shower, it would clean your feet, because I don't wash my feet. I just, like, stand in the shower, all the soap goes down, so I figure it must wash it. But that foot thing was great. It used to give you a massage on your feet. That was a big thing on Twitter, and like, about two years ago, I think, which was do you wash your legs in the shower? And it was like a 50-50 split of them going, no, because it just washes down. Or, yes, I'm not a dirty, dirty monster. And it was just, and so it's nice to know that Claire is a dirty, dirty monster who doesn't wash her feet. Whereas I wash all of myself. Why would you wash your feet for? Like, there's nothing, like, they spend 90% of the day in a shoe. And like, but they're just sweating up a storm and stinking. Yeah, but as soon as you stand in the shower, the soap washes down, so it like cleans it. You wash your legs or not? So I've got one of them poofy things, and I do scrub my legs, but that's more because when I need to shave my legs, because I'm quite a hairy person, I need to have a Um, lather up. But I don't shave my feet, so I don't need to bother with that. You're not that hairy a person, then. I'm not a hobbit. No, I am. Look at tiny hobbit. So yeah, passive foot washing. Do our listeners, we'll do a poll. Are you a passive foot washer or an active foot washer? Cut the last five minutes, John. <laughs> Why do we even shower for? You just get dirty again. So 996, Claire, I know we're all terribly excited. Uh, is she going to do Take That Splitting Up or The Matrix Churchill Affair? Who knows? 1996 correspondent, Claire. So in 1996, because we've just established that I forgot to do my research this evening, so I apologise to all the listeners who called me out last time for just being shit and looking on Wikipedia, but there we go. So... Yeah, fuck you for being right. Yeah, they know me too well. They pay too much attention. So the first genetically modified food product was sold in the UK in 1996. It was that was easy to be an editor at the start of the show everyone the the audio is probably not going to pick that up but it is true she's very much committed to the 90s aesthetic 
like Viennette is a one. At least I didn't go for. Oh, I can't eat them now because of the celiac. But you know the um. Arctic roll. That's the one. Can't eat Arctic roll no more. Makes me really sad. <laughs> oh, right. okay. What can't celiacs eat? Arctic roll. <laughs> I think that would be the saddest thing. I sometimes eat an Arctic roll like I'm a pelican, just sort of. <laughs> Classy. Yeah. Do you also clean windows the same way, like Giraffe Pelly and me? Uh, no, I clean them like Bodger and Badger. Was it to say just throw a whole shit ton of mashed potato? Right. Like, I, I don't. I've no idea if we keep it or not. But one early show, me and Claire pointed out how you know me as someone who doesn't have any dairy products and Claire as a celiac to a lot of food manufacturers, that's the same thing. Like, ah, oh, you can all have the same things together. It's the same. I've got a simmering row with Constance probably any Kemper impersonator who wouldn't accept that there are like one particular brand of biscuits which are vegan and which ones are uh, gluten-free. And she's like, this is fine, I can eat this one. I'm like, no, you, you're, you're eating the gluten-free again. That's the, they're the pink ones. It's the green ones you can have. It's the, generally the oddest row we've ever had. I know them biscuits well. They're a good you time. mention them. I don't know what they're called because they're very good biscuits. I would, I would be delighted to chill for them in a way that we only usually chill for ghost walks. Mrs. Crimble's? That's the one. Mrs. Crimble's are the one. But never the jam and macaroons. Always the coconut ones with the chocolate on the bottom. They're the better ones. The other ones go a bit soft and have like a paper sugar paper bottom. It's not the one. You and me, we've got to get together and we've got to eat our own individual boxes of Mrs. Crimble's next to each other. I'm sorry, but Mrs. Crimble's sounds like a next door neighbour who would steal your ball off you and pop it and give it to you back for Christmas. She does good biscuits, though. Yeah, probably got arsenic in them. That's why we're never going to get advertising with Mrs. Crimble's. <sighs> if I could get money off Mrs. Crimble's, it would change my life. Anyway, back to 1996. Sorry, distracted by biscuit chat. So it was also the year. Why do I sound so excited about this next thing? I don't know why. But it was also the year that the IRA ended their 17-month ceasefire because they bombed the Docklands and killed two people and injured 39. Um, there was many more incidents of the IRA. IRA bombing in London throughout this year. I don't know why I'm laughing about it for. It just makes me sound like an absolute psychopath. But yeah, they did a lot of bad things that year and killed a lot of people. I'm struggling to find the funny. I don't know why I'm laughing for. I think I must, it's too much being at her. This is also the year that Myra Hindley was up for being moved to an open <laughs> prison. <laughs> Did you know? Did you know that she and she and Rose West were together? Yeah. So I know someone who works at the prison, and yeah, they were. They were. Yeah. It just shows the power of love. It got. It just truly conquer all, including <laughs> being fucking murderous. Next time that you see someone with some kind of, you know, love is love badge or whatever, just remind them that includes <laughs> Rose West and Myra Henley shagging in prison. Yeah. Can I, oh, yeah, live, laugh, love. Every time I saw that in the kitchen, point at it. Do you know what they did? Do you know? It sounds like here. Oh, it's us losing our Mrs. Crimble's endorsements. <laughs> yeah, it literally is. What else? Finally, what I? <laughs> for 1996, the Queen 
Die! Oh, no, that was last week, sorry. The Riverside Stadium in Chesley Street, which was the first new cricket ground of its size and capacity that's been built for over 100 years, and it's still going today. And just last year, I think it had Little Mix performing there, and I think recently it's had... Recently it's had Durham Cricket Club Club performing. <laughs> that's not true. They haven't performed in about two years. I should know. <laughs> Top what's, the, what's the capacity? Do you know what the capacity is? What's the capacity of about twelve, uh, about fifteen thousand, I think. If they put, if they, if they put the additional seating up. Oh, so half the size of the Riverside Stadium in Middlesbrough, but they're still getting little mix. Little mix. Diana Ross was the I believe, as well. Yeah, she was shit. Apparently. I don't doubt it. I mean, <laughs> we've seen a lot of shit on the pitch of the Riverside over the past couple of years. And then there's that Christmas man. Who's that man who sings all the Christmas songs that people love? Christmas. No! <laughs> Noel Edmonds. Ali Jones. No! That Christmas man, he sings all the Christmas shit. Bubble! Mr. Bubble! Oh, Mr. Bubble? Who the fuck's Mr. Bubble? Michael Bublé. Oh, I, I was going to go with... Um... Bob Dylan, because of his ill-judged Christmas album, which is just him going. Not every song. Forty-five minutes. Yeah, yeah, but at least he used to enunciate. He used to enunciate. Used to. So music from nineteen ninety-six. Oh, we saw that. <laughs> Wasn't great, but generally the summary is Gina G was singing about who are just a little bit. The Spice Girls appeared and had their shit come together and the Prodigy had Firestar at number one for quite a long time. So there we go. That's the summary of 1996. Whee. I think the musical highlight <coughs> of 1996 was, of course, Jarvis versus Jacko. My favourite thing about that is when um, in Bob Mortimer's autobiography, Bob Mortimer acted as his solicitor after he got caught waving his bottom at Jacko and then they all spent the night down the cells and uh, it was just Jarvis Conco oh that's Bobby's ma I don't know why he's um, one of the Beatles in my in my thing Jarvis but yeah they ended up down down the cells and Bob Mortimer essentially got him off being a former solicitor during a night in the cells for waving his arse at, uh, at the good old Prince Pop and I did see another interview with Jairus Cocker when he said that the, the role of Bob Mortimer is overstated because Bob Mortimer immediately volunteered to be his legal representation. And then there's a bit from Jarvis. I won't do Jarvis either when he said, like, yeah. Uh, and then after about an hour, like, all of Michael Jackson's hotshot lawyers turned up and Bob Mortimer was like, yeah, I used to work for the council legal team. I, I think I'd best bow out at this point. <laughs> I can fully believe both of their arguments, uh, to be honest. Anyway, if we don't particularly know this story, I think it's uh, it's well described from this uh, local news footage that I found. Uh, the audio is quite bad. Child warrior. But what are you doing again? It's not very nice. 
It's true though, it's not nice when people accuse you of assaulting children, is it? And Michael Jackson, um, yeah. But uh, if you didn't hear in that bit of a, that bit of audio, there was a, a brilliant bit from a Jarvis Cocker supporter there. Like, all he did was uh, wiggle his bum and get beaten up by a man dressed as Buddha. <laughs> I, I would argue that certainly on the receiving end, uh, not of Michael Jackson, uh, that audio was one of the best that you've brought to the table, John, except... <laughs> Except Jarvis Cocker just sounded South African throughout the entire thing. That's all. It's like hearing your own voice, isn't it? On a recording, it's like hearing Jarvis Cocker's voice over the internet. But yes, the 906 Brit Awards, representatives of all global fates, bow down at Michael Jackson singing the legendary Earth song. There is no better lyric than, What about the elephants? In all, of, all of recorded sound is there. Another great musical moment, of course, of 1996 uh, was the theme tune to This Life, the first adult show I think I was properly obsessed with, and uh, music which I think is far more symptomatic of our aesthetic than an instrumental by a local folk musician. Other TV series about the ennui of growing up are available from 1996, such as Our Friends in the North. Yeah, and one day we will do a show about uh, T. Dan Smith and uh, the story behind Our Friends in the North on the basis that... Our friends in the North, even though it was on telly 1996, and therefore stuff that happened 30 years previously is totally within our, <laughs> our restrictions. Another death from, uh, from 1996 that related to music, though, was Chas Chandler, bass player of the Animals, and latterly the impresario who first brought Jimi Hendrix to the UK, where he lived with Chandler in Heaton, in East Newcastle for a time. Wow, I did not know that. Allegedly busking on Chilly Road, and uh, there is a plaque uh, somewhere, is it Whitley Bay? Possible time mouth. I don't know, but there's kind of like there's a plaque that's like when Jimi Hendrix lived in Heaton for six months, he used to come here for chips. Amazing <laughs> <laughs> plaque. But yeah, Charles Chandler from uh, from Newcastle financed the recording of Hey Joe. He was the one who had the idea for Hendrix to set fire to his guitar. Not really remembered now, but a pivotal man in music history. Also died in 1996. Ozzy Clark. He of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Clark and Percy by David Hockney. Wow. Whose wedding invitation featured a pastiche of Mr. and Mrs. Clark and Percy by David Hockney, featuring a copy of Smash Hits and the burger phone from Neighbours? That's a question for me, because it's... It's not Claire, because I didn't know her then. Jason Donovan and uh, Kylie Minogue, and or Paul Heaton and Jackie Abbott, who knows? Claire, let's see if you can work this out, despite having not been invited to my wedding. From the inference of how I'm phrasing this... You! I can't remember your wedding invitation. All I remember about your wedding is going to Norwich, staying in a room above a pub with Matt and him wanting to go back early enough so we could watch Bremner Bird and Fortune. What? And then going to your wedding the next day, having a lovely time in that, uh, uh, you know, the Norwich place. Nightmare, you know. Nightmare, yes. Yeah. Anyway, that's niche for you. Yes, me and, and concerts premier Ellie Kemper impersonators uh, wedding invitation featured a pastiche oh. of David Hockney's uh, Mrs. Clark and Percy with our deceased now, not at the time, Cat Rufus acting as Percy. My cat's just had a shit. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, it really... well, alive. 
and that cannot be said about poor Rufus. And it rest in peace, you magnificent bastard. It really smells. Can I go deal with is that? There, before then... you do that, before you do deal with that, is there anything else from 1996 that is so scintillating that we need to discuss? I mean, there was Bimble's Bucket. That was a good TV show, but I don't have a lot to say about it. I just remember it being Bimble with his bucket and it had holes in it. There you go. Hello, I'm Concert's premier Ellie Kemper impersonator, and I'm here to read the disclaimer. Everyone Dies in Sunderland explores some of the darkest moments of Northeast history and includes jokes. These jokes will never be at the expense of victims or their families and will always be at the expense of people who deserve to be mocked, robbed of their power and shown up for the idiots they really are. If you're easily offended or personally connected to the events we're discussing though, you probably shouldn't listen. What are you eating now? More Vianetta. I, I can't hold it against you. It would melt. Fuck off. <laughs> Uh, and if you want to catch any more of John's st- comedy styling, you <laughs> do. Spooky season is upon us, and that's definitely not just a marketing ploy to sell milky coffee with some turmeric in it. And what a better way to mark the season than with a ghost hunt? Uh, I love that kind of thing. I even dragged my children and concerts premier Ellie Kemper impersonator on one in Austin, Texas on our summer holiday. But you don't need to go to Texas this autumn if you are a fan of being scared. You only need to check out spiritseekers.info or look for uh, Spirit Seekers on social media because they run uh, events all over the north, including one at the Northeast Air Museum or in Washington. Not that one or that one. Um, and one at Sunderland's Royalty Theatre on November the 26th. Oh, I really want to do that, but I feel like I'm only prepared to pay 20% less for a ticket than the asking price. Funny you should say that, Claire, because if you are an Everyone Dies in Sunderland listener, you can get 20% off uh, Spirit Seekers um, event at the Sunderland Royalty Theatre on November 26th just by entering the promo code BOOM. It's in capitals. At the checkout at spiritseekers.info. Boo! That was our first proper advert. And apart from the chat about this is Crimble's that may or may not make it, Gareth wasn't even there for it. Yeah, surplus to requirements. In our next show, see if we finalise that free murder mystery party offer that we've been negotiating since June. In the mid-1990s, Britain carried out an interesting social experiment to see if taking a child from a chaotic and poverty-ridden childhood, giving them a dehumanising nickname, making them some kind of weird celebrity and then repeatedly condemning them in public would stop their offending behaviour. And, spoiler alert, it didn't. This is a time when the government literally wanted the justice system to, and this is a quote from the Prime Minister, understand less and condemn more. But it's the story of a region too, and by that I mean... Uh, It's what people thought of us back then. Uh, So this is a theatre review from The Independent in 1995, which I believe is trying to be helpful. Newcastle-upon-Tyne has a bad reputation. In the popular imagination, the only famous Geordies since the Venerable Bede are Gaza and Vidsid the Sexist. Coal was its only known export until the 13-year-old outlaw Rat Boy made the headlines and the Daily Mail christened the Northeast birthplace of ram raiding. And to be fair, I'm glad South Tyneside finally replaced those signs with Catherine Cooks and Country. <laughs> That's an introduction to a theatre review which basically says, yeah, good play, in a shithole like this, can you even imagine? 
Thank you for our compliment. <laughs> uh, Rat Boy is, is someone that people remember uh, being a weird uh, northeast celebrity of the region. And in fact, when Claire semi-recently came round to my house, she was like, when are we going to do Rat Boy? So now that's it. We're doing Rat Boy, but not just Rat Boy, but the other Rat Boys of the region, because he was not alone in being described in the local press as being responsible for a teeny crime wave or a tiny crime wave or a one-man crime wave. But we'll start with a quick history lesson um, and a geography lesson for out-of-town listeners. Biker Grove, not in Biker. The iconic children's drama was shot in and around Benwell, uh, to the west of the city, Biker to the east. And the grove itself was um, a building called Benwell Towers, which was for a long time home to the Shafto family, including Bobby Shafto, he of the nursery rhyme, warning women, is he fuck coming back from sea to marry you? Uh, which we make toddlers chant, which is fun. By the 1970s, the building was a pub called The Mitre, and then for a decade for half, it was a set of a legendary children's programme, and now it's an academy for Islamic scholars. But what is in Biker is the Biker Wall, which is a mile and a half long tower block surrounding a housing estate built in the 1970s as part of the clearance of Victorian slum housing, and best described in a PhD thesis I found as... A place of complexities. On the one hand, as a predominantly social housing estate, the community has become a byword for social deprivation and crime. On the other hand, because of its architectural credentials, it has become hailed as one of the most influential pieces of architecture of its time. So it's amazing as long as you don't have to live there. But someone who did live there in the 1990s was Anthony Kennedy, described by the Sunday Times as... A monster figure straight out of the steamy New York tenement blacks. But also a child so small that older, larger criminals could easily shove him through small windows, allowing him to open the door from the inside and let them burgle the place. Like Flat Stanley. In a way. It's Flat Stanley burgle houses. No, but if well, he... <laughs> But by the age of 13, uh, Kennedy had committed 55 offences and escaped from care 37 times, with the police describing him as... A miniature crime wave. That's not the first time you're going to hear that description. And indeed it wasn't the first time, because you described them as that at the top of the show. (laughs) Uh, Northumbria police had to set up a special unit to take down Kennedy. To reiterate... A malnourished 13-year-old. But they couldn't find him. Why? Uh, because he was flat Stanley and he slid <laughs> down the drain. He posted himself to Australia. <laughs> yes. And that's the end of the show. No, um... <laughs> We've solved it for once. We've solved it. We're done. Crime. We're done. John. We're done. <laughs> no, I should do this all your shit anymore. <laughs> The lad from Serial got out of prison and we were all like, when is it our turn? Yeah, here we go. We've solved the flat Stanley murders. <laughs> oh, whatever we've solved, I've lost the plot now. No, um, he was living in the biker walls ventilation system. Oh. And that's well, the okay. like flat Stanley, I guess. So yes, that's the baddie of this story. A neglected child living in the heating system of a tower block publicly became a villain. And in 1997, he was sentenced to four years for robbery. But by 2007, he had found love and God. In, in the wall? In the heating? <laughs> no, I think he'd stopped living in the heating system by then. Rat Boy is the person I used to be. The only names I would want to be called now are Anthony and 
dad have turned me back on crime and would never go back to that leaf lake. Well, it was brave. I'm a rather trained actor. <laughs> Not the rather you're thinking of. <laughs> no, no. The Ramside Association of Dickheads and Arseholes. <laughs> anyway, what happened next? He found love, produced an army of tiny, tiny people who then went on to become even worse supervillains in the future and became the principal plot for a new Batman movie. No, but he did go back to that life. Oh, he ran back in the vents. Uh, no, he didn't run back in the vents, but he did go back to burglary. He broke into a house uh, which belonged to a security consultant. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's fated, isn't it? Yeah, master criminal that he was, uh, he smashed his way in through a glass door, leaving his blood and DNA everywhere. And of course, this was a house full of alarms and CCTV, being the house of a security consultant. The, the problem I always have with the, the terms blood and DNA is that I know that blood and DNA are obviously equivalent to the same thing. But, and Claire knows where I'm going with this. All it sounds to me like is blood and spunk everywhere. Yeah. Thank you, Claire. At least thank you for backing me up on this. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, the three years he got for that. Mm. It's a case. Is that like he was our, our local celebrity at the time? Was this this tiny malnourished child from a chaotic background who ended up living in the venting system of a tower block and became synonymous with both the region and crime? Whereas you don't have to spend too long on Google or local newspaper sites to find out like. like there were some slightly more intense criminals quite active in the city at this time who may have been more deserving of public disdain than a child. But he was not the only child rat boy who got this kind of treatment. There was also Spider Boy. Who was Spider Boy? Just whatever a Spider Boy can. Exactly. I guess just... 48 knees? No. Yeah. But he was called Thomas Laws. He got the name Spider Boy in the press when he escaped from the police by creeping along a five-inch wide beam 50 feet up. Oh, is he on that video on YouTube where he climbs up and disappears? There's a... Um, right, before we put this in, there is an excellent video on YouTube about a boy who climbs up a thing, the cops are down there, and it's taken from CCTV and just fucks off. Is that, have we seen that? I don't know. I think I think you've David Blaine. <laughs> no, right. I will try to find this to put on socials because if this is the one that you're talking about, it's fucking incredible. Anyway, carry on. Which one was longer? David Blaine in that box or Liz Truss being Prime Minister? David Blaine in that box. Correct. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, uh, I don't know uh, is the honest answer to your question, Gareth, but this was Spider Boy's favoured method of getting away from the authorities following his crimes, which were generally car theft, uh, which led him to say, I know rooftops like some people know the streets. Uh, and in 2001, he scaled an eight foot glass wall and squeezed through bars six inches apart to escape from the dock in court while on trial. How did his ears get through? I've just Googled him, he had massive fucking ears. I don't think that they've got like anything bony in them ears, do they? they they're quite... But then even if you, like, have to flatten them to get through something, that's hard. They can go forward, but they can't go backward. Have you confused him with a cat there? It's like, as long as they can get their whiskers through, they can get through. Uh, 
why do you think so many 70s sitcoms have kids having lard rubbed behind their ears, John? Because they put the heads through and it slips through, but they can't get them out. It's like putting it. All right, I'll tell you what, next time you put a snooker ball in your mouth and see how that goes. Children with lard behind their ears in 70s sitcoms, what are you talking about? Stuck when they're stuck on through fences. Thank you. There was a whole episode of EastEnders with a kid that had his head stuck through some bars. Uh, does, it, does it not happen to, uh, to Tony Slattery guest starring in an episode of The Lion and the Unicorn? God, <laughs> <laughs> now you come to mention it. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of, but he does look like a small boy in that because of his weirdly youthful head. If you look at him now, you'd never think that that was how he was because he's looking a bit <laughs> haggard these days. Oh. On the run for three months following that, and uh, I was... on the scuttle, surely, John. <laughs> it's like he ran up some curtains. Women shoot him away with a broom. But uh, in the end, uh, he started uh, ringing up the Evening Chronicle to, to taunt the police and got caught. <laughs> you need to be really assured not to start taunting the police, don't you? You need to be locked down. You can't just call them from your phone and go. Oh, it's me. I'm the spam spider boy. Come and find me. Well, we found you because it's your fucking mobile phone, you dickhead. Yep. Um, he also scaled the roof of Whitley Bay Magistrates Court once and <laughs> had to be tore down. Later at a Young Offenders Institute, uh, he sparked a riot which took 24 police officers, a helicopter, and a dog team to break up. Do you think Ted Bundy would still be free? If now, you didn't get that driving if, ticket. Well, I was going to say, if, yeah, if you'd scuttled up the side of the court rather than jump down and then, yeah, presumably got that driving ticket, you could have hidden on the roof for days. Um, fortunately, prison works, though. Uh, in March <laughs> John, not entertaining that at all. <laughs> no, not a comment. In March 2008, he was accused of robbing a man uh, with, admittedly, an imitation gun. Um, and that led to a five-year sentence with a public protection order, uh, which means he would only ever be set free if the parole board believed him to no longer be a threat. And he must have done that, but unfortunately they were wrong, uh, because after, uh, in 2020, he was reported to be on the run before breaching the terms of his release licence. Uh, also, though Durham didn't want to be missing out on this, they had Boomerang Boy. Counted. What the hell did he do? Fold himself up and spin around the world? <laughs> yes. He was arrested over 80 times by the age of 15 and was accused of over a thousand crimes. The two are probably connected. Uh, he went home after every crime, hence the nickname, made him quite easy to catch. In 1999, his mum told The Guardian that he was... No, Angel. As usual, his crimes were burglary, threatening behaviour, robbery, shoplifting, and dragging up to steal 22 charity boxes from local shops. Which I like. And there's also this quote, which makes me like him even more, Claire. He flouts every type of authority, breaks all his curfews, and continually tells police and magistrates to fuck off. When was he around? From the late 90s until present day, to be fair. He had uh, 64 convictions by 2015, when he tried to hold up a post office in Shildon uh, and got knocked out by the owner's wife coming up behind him with a baseball bat. I like this guy. And that's mainly because I like the DC uh, super supervillain Captain Boomerang, who is an Australian arsehole. But I just I kind of like I kind of like that swagger that they've got. Anyone with Boomerang in their name is good by me. 
closer to uh, close to Gareth's uh, neck of the woods. There was in Hartlepool, Balaclava Boy. Obviously, the Cleveland vocabulary hey. journalist, a bit lazier. His thing was he wore a balaclava. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say he had a, bal- a balaclava on. Brilliant. Famously, he uh, wore a balaclava while boasting to the BBC News about his joyriding exploits at the age of 11. And uh, unfortunately, he didn't make it past the age of 18 when he died after swallowing a heroin-filled condom um, after being arrested for a motoring offence. Wow. Do you know how much heroin you have to take to be able to ejaculate it? (laughs) (laughs) You know... um, you know weasel bit coffee, like they sell to tourists in Southeast Asia. They go, oh, you know, weasels only eat the best coffee beans, poo them out whole, and then they, you, like, you buy it for your mates back home like an idiot so they can drink coffee that's come out of a weasel's I, I don't know about weasels. I know about civet cats. Are weasels and civet cats the same thing, just rebranded? Yeah, probably. Anyway, it's a similar thing happens with heroin in some parts of the Northeast in those days. <laughs> what? Yeah, because they're a rat boyfriend. Uh, yeah, the aid memoir uh, for that joke in my phone, by the way, was Weasel Heroin Condom, <laughs> which ironically is the word <laughs> for Sheldon. But uh, Durham police were at least a bit more creative than Cleveland with their nicknames. They had the Singing Defective. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's good. Uh, so called because he would just chant no reply to every question the police asked him to the tune of Here We Go. He was at one point thought to be responsible for 10% of all crimes happening in Durham. So what? No reply, no reply, no reply. (laughs) No reply, no fucking ace. What a dude. His most recent conviction I could find was 2018 for selling drugs to an undercover police officer. (laughs) Durham also had Worm Boy. Uh, What could he do? Earthworm Jim. He got hit by a meteorite and turned into a little earthworm and then became a superhero. And could use his head as a whip and shot people. I mean, I was going to say he had five hearts and could breathe through his skin, but they're both their own differences. Oh, he could just burrow and immediately just burrow underground. Yeah. No, uh, he terrorised the people of Chester Street like the mythical beast, the lantern worm. Oh, that's quite a good little, like, tie in there. Yeah, but that the lantern worms all all over the place. It's one of those things that nobody lays a proper mythological claim to. It's like Chester Street, it's Sunderland, it's Hartlepool, it's everywhere. Everywhere's got a lantern worm. It doesn't really work. Uh, a later serious case review concluded the police were wrong to fight him to death in the River Weir while wearing arrow-tipped armor, and they took They had to die. Um, and of course, that was the Durham Constabulary for nine generations. Really? <laughs> e- yeah. uh, further afield, there was Blip Boy, who I really like, but he was called Blip Boy because he single handedly distorted York's crime statistics. And um, so far. A more, a more theoretical criminal than a, than a bad one. Uh, a Safari Boy from Gloucester, but you might remember this one because he was quite a cool celeb at the time. Does anyone remember Safari Boy? Safari Boy? Yeah. I don't know any of these boys. He was described in the local press as a teeny one-man crime wave. He was the guy, if you remember, it was quite a big sort of mini moral panic of the day that he was sent on a publicly funded holiday to Egypt, Kenya, Tanzania, Malawi, Zimbabwe and Zambia in order to break his cycle of offending. And after 113 subsequent convictions, 
I think they concluded the results were mixed. Is that a bit like, a bit like the um, the judge that told the guy to just read more classic novels quite recently? Whatever happened to him? It was what Gloucester Social Services did at this time because not only there was Safari Boy who was such a bad um they sent him on a holiday they had pocket money boy and they came up with the wheeze that if they gave him 60 quid every week he would stop nicking stuff and it didn't work but you know that's a brief overview of young teenagers from chaotic childhoods who briefly became crudely demonized hate figures in the local and national press out of the northeast of the 1990s and i the big takeaway i have for it is that i was listening to a podcast about charles ingram cheating on who wants to be a millionaire, or at least being convicted of it. John Ronson says, I didn't do it. And if John Ronson says he didn't do it, he didn't do it. <laughs> and like, he was attacked in the street and like people spat in his mouth and someone shot his cat and then he lost his job as a decorated army officer. And then when he got out of prison, he went for an interview and then he got offered it. And then about an hour later, they were like, oh, you're that Charles Ingram, in which case, fuck off. And he was really posh and had quite a decent CV. And all he did was get convicted of having a stranger with a persistent cough cough when Chris Tarrant said Craig David. So what hope did these people have? That's my point. Well, the thing that I'm surprised about, John, is that you never alluded to, or never stated the fact that uh, good old Rat Boy became a um, comic strip in Viz. Like I I could never find a reference to him pre-sort of 1992 when his crime wave sort of began, and obviously Viz being based in Newcastle, he suddenly turned up uh, in sort of 1995-ish time as a vaguely sort of anthropomorphic rat who was a, um, a, a ne'er-do-well and the younger brother of another delightful Viz, not-at-all-punching-down character, Tasha the Slapper. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, and, and, and he remains in this this day. And so his, his memory, much like that of the uh, Indian curry king of the big market, uh, <laughs> lives on in the memories of his readers. I walked past the restaurant the other night when I was in the gutter. I did salute and smiled. Yeah, you got to. It wasn't just this that made Lord Latif. Yeah. As a really odd local figure. And I, I don't even know how best to describe him. So he was in the Chronicle all the time. It just, all yeah. he was was just a mad owner of a curry house and then got, you know, made into a recurring character throughout his. So, like, yeah, if you're not from North East, who's your maddest local celebrity? But yes, in case people don't, uh, I'll say, I've forgotten if you're from the region or not from out of it, he was basically a, a self-promoting restaurateur who bore himself the honorary title of <laughs> Lord of Harpole. I say, it says here, proudly branded himself Britain's first Bangladeshi lord. <laughs> basically he, he ran a, he ran a curry house and he, he would come up with wheezes to publicize himself in the local press such as the world's longest distance curry delivery uh, when he delivered some biryani and peshwari now to uh, to sydney in australia also free curry for life rugby star johnny wilkinson it was a decent curry place as well didn't you do one of the hottest before it became famous do the hottest curries i feel to remember he uh, i seem to remember he did one of the hottest curry things ever uh-huh. and uh, four times the amount of chili found in a typical vindaloo it says here there we go oh, in parliament proposed by tim farron was tabled on 24th of january 2008 after he died to offer condolences to celebrate the life of a man whose enormous contribution to the city of Newcastle, the liberal democrats and fizz 
we've we've just done a spontaneous spontaneous rabbit hole corner there, haven't we? But genuinely, if you are from somewhere that is Newcastle and you've got you know the maddest local celebrity, it's on brand, isn't it? From of this period, who is mm. the person who you know, not even a local celebrity, not like a local like you know TV star. Not like Mario in Durham. Yeah, Mario or the man in Oh, Mario in Durham. Who wears leather clothes and yeah. Which it doesn't. Oh God, this is a massive sidetrack. I can't remember. Look, it doesn't have a really interesting story, Mario in Durham as well. I don't know. I've never spoken to him. No. him. The next time either of you see him in Durham, get him on the fucking podcast. Well, I'm just gonna Google Mario Durham. Hang on. There we go. The guy in Durham who looks like Mario. Basically. <laughs> I can't remember. Is it gonna say where he is now? But I think I think he's like he's a he's a he's a, he's a lecturer at the university, but he's actually like he's a, a, a dissident. Is he fuck? He's not a lecturer. Yeah. No, people would not. Un- well, unless it happened in the last, you know, fifteen I years. I thought he was a plumber from Italy. <laughs> there is no way that Mario is a lecturer at Durham, and not everybody in the university knew who he was. Because I worked at the <laughs> university, and I didn't know who he was, like as a human. No, because yeah, if you were studying at university and somebody went, "Oh, I've got Mario, I've got fucking Mario as a lecturer," yeah, everybody would know who he is and what he taught. Yeah, if I not, think it's international relations or something, and like he's like he's like the like the one of the world's leading authorities. I might... That's a junk. That's a junk to law, and I never knew anything about him. I can't. I can't find uh, anything. Anything now. But yeah, I believe so. Yeah, there we go. Then there's another one for you. Uh, uh, local celebrities who mean nothing at all, even a few miles down the road. There is a guy in Durham who may or may not be an international relations lecturer at the university who looks uncannily like the cartoon character Mario. <laughs> What's your crazy local celebrity who even people a mile down the road would not even recognise as such? Do we have an actual rabbit hole corner? Oof. Uh, no, I've done my poems. <laughs> I've mentioned Viz. No, I think I'm there. We, obviously, we, I, I didn't actually put it in the script in the end, but I was going to make reference to the fact earlier when we mentioned the sexist that there's like, it's, it's always used as like a derogatory weapon to beat Viz with. Like, you don't have to, you know, spend too much time reading Super Sexist to decode the fact that the point is he's basically a pathetic incel and the joke is always on him and the last the last pa- 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 panel is always him being beaten up or being hospitalised. So it's a really unfair thing. And then obviously the fat slags aren't helpfully named, but I've actually genuinely read feminist criti- like critique of the fat slags, which is like, they do what they want and they don't give a shit. They're feminist icons. But then, yeah, I think Rat Boy and Tasha Slapper are, are quite hard to. And, and I, I would argue Billy the Fish less so because well, it's oh, sorry because it's so painfully unfunny. I, well, I was going to get to Billy the Fish, which I find very funny. Oh um, God! But yes, but, Billy the Fish is of course a fantastic parody of um, of Melchester Rovers and Roy of the Rovers, which obviously I love, and that was going to be literally my rabbit hole corner. Really? Oh really? Okay, go on. People don't know that, like how how stupidly accurate Billy the Fish is as a parody of Roy of the Rovers, because obviously there are things like you know, like <laughs> if you're a fan of Billy the Fish, you know that um, I say Full Chester Rovers, isn't it? Yeah. Full team includes <laughs> Shakin' <Shaking> Stevens. 
<laughs> they also have Mick Hucknell from Simply Red plays for Fulchester Rovers from a time. And a... That, that's not a joke that appears out of thin air. Who was Melchester Rovers, Roy of the Rovers team's big summer signing in the summer of 1985? Sorry, who's Fulchester Rovers' big signing like, in 1985? 19- Melchester Rovers, Roy of the Rovers' team in oh. Roy of the Rovers. Oh. Who did they sign in 1985? Um, I mean, it, it's either, uh, for me, it's either going to be Kevin Keegan. Or, or a, um, a a Native American woman based on the comics. No, I, generally it's an odd it's an odd period for Roy of the Rovers. They've just come off the back of them parodying Who Shot Jr., where uh, Roy of the Rovers ends up in a coma, having been shot in the head by the guy who's playing Roy of the Rovers in the television version of, of Roy of the Rovers. Okay. Um, and they're like, Alf Ramsey is the guy they bring in to like cover for Roy as manager of Melchester Rovers while Roy's in a coma, even though Alf Ramsey is real and exists. And obviously no one else in the football world of Roy of the Rovers does exist. The person that Melchester Rovers bought in the summer of 1985 was Martin Kemp from Spandau Ballet. <laughs> I am not okay. It, they play a charity game against a team of celebrities and Martin Kemp from Spandau Ballet is so good. Roy is like, yep, yeah, we'll sign you. And Martin Kemp plays the season with Melchester Rovers in between his commitments with Spandau Ballet. I think my problem is, being a former DVD reviewer of The Sun, I've always been a fan of Striker rather than Roy of the Rovers. So uh, there's a bit of a, a, a cross issue there. Anyway, so that was the summer of 1985. <laughs> <laughs> by, by the summer of 1986, things have got a bit less whimsical in Melchester. What happened in 1986? There was a bombing. Yes, you're quite right. Um, Melchester Rovers went on a pre-season tour of the not-not-racist fictional Middle Eastern country of Basran which was ill-advised because there was a civil war happening in Basran at the time. And the entire Melchester Rovers team got kidnapped and they had to be rescued by the SAS. That's not the end of the story. On the way back to the airport, the team bus is attacked by a suicide bomber. And this results in the death of eight first team players, including players like Vic Guthrie and Jimmy Slade, who had been with Roy and his best friend, Blackie Gray, on like 40 years they'd been in the Melchester first team. And in 1986, they died in a suicide bomb attack on the Melchester team bus. (laughs) It's literally the equivalent of Bastry parodying Abafan and Plug and Smith (laughs) not making it. Claire, do you ever feel left out? A little bit, yeah. being a boy. <laughs> I feel completely abandoned, but it's okay, I'll survive. What was your favourite comic? I didn't really read comics. You didn't really read, as we found out. Your house has got three books. And one of them is the better way to Well, it was, at least I wasn't reading about Mr Pink Whistle getting interference. No, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, no. I just, I didn't get into comics as a kid. I was a TV girl. Did we do in a, a future piece episode what was like the uh, the look in was the like promotional wing of children's ITV and there was one for the BBC and I've forgotten what it's called. Remind me of that. That's what we want. So does anyone remember the book The Last Test about a child no. and another child who uses a wheelchair playing miniature cricket on the lawn for a summer and it's probably a metaphor for something uh, and weird local celebrities and I'm sure the BBC had like, because there was like TV Times as ITV, we, we talk about this all the time. 
that was TVD listings with ITV was TV Times, and then Radio Times was BBC <coughs> listings, but there was also like the Junior TV Times, which was looking. Way to ruin it, Claire. <laughs> he was in the middle of something then. He's going to have to start again now, and we all want to go to bed. But it was looking, wasn't it? That had the brilliant ones they they they, par- they parody in uh, in Viz all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's like that when it's kind of like jazz man from Babylon Zoo story. Like panel one is him sitting in a classroom going like, "I hate maths. Why can't I be a pop star?" And then the next panel is, "Hello, I'm Levi from <laughs> Levi's Jeans. We'd like to remix ten seconds of your song and put it in an advert." And then the next panel is him going, "Spice man," <laughs> thinking, "Yes." And that was the dad's band story. <laughs> Claire looks even more confused than she did. I have no, no, idea. I John. I no idea what's going on right now. Anyway, don't worry. Uh, the, the crimes that we feature on this show, um, I mean, they were incredibly common in the mid-90s, but they're not so common now. And details about tonight's show can be found on Teletext, page 615. Uh, do sleep well. Don't have nightmares. And do go on the ghost walk and use the discount code, please. Thank you, bye. What's that discount code, Claire? <gasps> B-O-O. We well, live in the ass face of Scotland. Can't get down here fast enough. Be nice to be invited. Oh, the arse face of Scotland is like, like East Lothian, isn't it? I, I, Gareth lives in the cock of Scotland. <laughs> if the UK looks like a witch, I'm a flick off the witch's hat. Ooh. Yeah. So what are we, uh, chesticles? Have we talked about what? the Kintyre rule? What? The Mull of Kintyre rule, isn't it? What's the Mull of Kintyre rule? Well, I think I might have to the Paul McCartney song with like, it's, it's you can't you can't show an erect male member on the telly and like the, like the angle at which it becomes unacceptable is the, is the bit of Scotland that sticks out. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. You can have a certain amount of chumescence, but not too much. So hang on, so you can put a penis on the telly, but it can't be erect. No. I definitely remember Joan Bakewell did a show about it once when it was all about like what's uh, what you can show on TV and not show on TV. And it's basically her wandering around a naked man and like at a certain point, <laughs> clearly there's some fluffing going on. Like they're like, and at this point, we have to pixel it out because he's gone past this angle. But is that because, so for a woman, you're allowed to put all the bits of a woman on the telly. So yeah. why is it, it's cause, is it because men are insecure about their penis sizes and they don't want to have it compared? Yeah, but equally, it? equally, men are allowed to wander around topless as much as they want on TV, but women can't get their tits out, can they not? So. Yeah, but what, it's still just like, it's still just bits of oh, flesh. It's, yeah. it's stupid. Mm. Get the nips out. Oh, Why are you saying get the nips out rather than get the cocks out? But, you know, there we go, it's thrown. There you go. Mull of Kintyre test, you can Google it. It's a bonus rabbit hole. According to the myth, the British form of billboard of film classification will not permit a film for general release on video if it depicts a penis erect to the point that the angle it made from the vertical was higher than the peninsula of Kintyre in Argyle and Butte on maps of Scotland. Is that a thing, or was that just something that Paul McCartney said? <laughs> in the 12-inch version of that song. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, it starts out about three or four inches, but yeah. as the bagpipes swell, Paul gets more excited. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, 
Oh, I have one tiny shout out to do as well. All right. We technically finished the show, but go for it. We can fit it in somewhere. Um, so yeah, so I want to do a shout out to the Brutal Bazaar and Boozy podcast who have said that they really enjoy listening to our podcast. They think that we have really good stories from in the UK and they're based in the US and they've given us a five star rating and they focus on aliens, getting shit faced and having a nice time. So everyone should give them a listen as well. Now you didn't tell the children about Shambos eating your chocolate mousse. Good, because now there's real orange and real lemon mousse. Seductively light.